just, I, I love being here. We are today in the second letter of John, second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Walking in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. All glory, honor, and praise go to our God. Amen. Let's just take a moment uh, of prayer before we start this message. God, just keep us humble, keep our hearts soft to hear your word, to hear what you are saying through your word, to that we know that the meaning of the text is the revealed word from you, God, that we may uh, just use it in our lives, that we may give it to others, that we ourselves may not be conformed to this world, but be renewed in our thinking, that to keep our eyes on your Son, that the Holy Spirit uh, abiding in us 
will continue to guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we are in 2 John. The decision to be in 2 John was made quite a while ago. Uh, along with the name change of the church, along with the finishing of our 92 or 93 weeks that we were in the book of Mark, we realized that 2nd and 3rd John, along with a few other books in the Bible, were ones you normally don't get to. And that this would be the perfect opportunity this week in 2nd John and next week in 3rd John to go through these small books of the Bible. These small books that are short in word, but great in theology. Second John is the second shortest book in the New Testament, 245 words in the Greek, probably 140 different words or so that are used in this short letter, all of which could have been contained on or written on one piece of parchment. A tiny personal letter to a woman on the outskirts of Ephesus. John is in Ephesus this, this time. The Apostle John, he is the last surviving Apostle. He is at the end of his life. He will soon die. The letter's probably written somewhere in 90 to 95 AD while John is in Ephesus. We don't know the name of the lady, nor the names of her children, nor any names of those who are part of this body of believers. But we know that it is a letter of great joy for John to write. It is not so much a letter of instruction as it is a letter of unity in Christian truth. There is important instruction in the letter that we will get to about midway through, but always keep in mind that John is writing this letter from a joyful place. We'll find out how happy he is to write the words that he does soon when we go through this letter. But unity in truth, Christian unity is what the letter is about. In verse 1, Aged John says the elder is how he addresses himself. Presbyteros is what it is in Greek. We get some of those terms from Presbyterian is where it comes from. But here he is the elder to the chosen lady, to the elect lady, to one that has been found in Christ. And her children. There has been some discussion about this woman and who she might be, but there's nothing firm about it, so it does us no good to speculate. There are some people that would say that when it says her children, they would be indicating other believers that might be in the church where she's at, but a plain text reading of this will suffice. He's speaking to her and her children. This woman we know is a Christ follower because he says, whom I love in the truth and not only I, but also all who know the truth. John chapter 17 verse 17 says, 
Jesus praying for believers that they would know the truth, that they would be sanctified in truth, and that, Lord, Your Word is the truth. That these believers, this woman and her children, are found in this truth, in knowing the Lord. He is joyful when He says this, but I know You in the truth. And in verse 2 it says, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. This truth is never-ending. Although the world may pass away, the truth that you know, that this woman knows, that her children knows, is never-ending. That Jesus never ends. That Jesus is eternal. That God is eternal. That their salvation is eternal. It never changes. In the blink of an eye, they might be gone from this earth but they will be in and with Christ in the end. It is all about the truth for John when he writes this letter. The unity that is found in right thinking and right believing about who Jesus is. It is a letter to the believers, to the sheep, to the wheat, to the members of the true church. A letter of love. And it is only possible by abiding in Christ the Lord Jesus, when He writes this letter to them. It had verse 2, for the sake of the truth. To the chosen lady and her children for the sake of the truth. Not any truth, but the truth. The truth that is found in Christ Jesus, the risen Savior. The only truth that matters. The only truth that your life depends on. If we look at John chapter 8, verse 32, it says these words from the apostle that he wrote so long ago in comparison to this, this joyful personal letter. John chapter 8, verse 32. I'll start in 31 where it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is the truth that this lady and her children have been found in. They are free in Jesus, free of the bondage of sin. Free of those things that bind them to this world. They know Jesus. And it is this truth that all believers are united. Even though John at this point is distant from her, that he has sent a letter to her, they are still unified as believers. There is no unity like those among true Christ followers. This unity is foundational. Foundational for the church. This almost doxological statement in verse 3, it says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, again, in truth and love. The fourth time, John has mentioned the truth. It is so important for him to say this. 
he is repeating himself on this truth. We learn by repetition. We are reminded by repetition. That's how we learn those important things we need to know. We can still probably all cite our multiplication tables and addition tables that we learned so long ago by repetition. And now John has said four times about the truth. The truth that is in Jesus. It is in this truth that we find our unity as Christ followers. Unity in the truth. All in truth and love. A joyful letter that he has written to her. A personal letter about Christian unity. This verse in 4 says, I was very glad in my translation, which is the NASB. Uh, yours might be slightly different. I think when we take it directly from the Greek, it really grabs what is being said here. And it says this, it says, I was exceedingly joyful. One of only two times exceedingly in this form is used in the New Testament. The next time will be next week in John and 3 John. He is exceedingly joyful to find some of your children walking in what? The truth. The fifth time he uses truth in this passage. The fifth time in four verses that he is talking about the truth. I was exceedingly joyful to find that they are in a state of salvation. Now we should not read this negatively as some of us will do, myself included, when we read to find some of your children walking in the truth. That doesn't mean her other children are lost. What he's saying is he has knowledge that some of these children of hers, direct knowledge that they are found saved by Christ. By the Lord Jesus, they have been found. And he is writing that I am so joyful that this has occurred. That your children have found Jesus. Or I should say that Jesus has found them. And that they are abiding in Jesus. That they know the risen Lord. And it is His great joy, His exceeding joy, His overwhelming joy, which is the occasion of writing this particular letter. This joy that these children are now found in the body of believers, are found unified in the body of all those who believe in Jesus. They are part of the body of believers that we are part of. That heaven is filled with believers. That we might look out onto this earth and see a small number of believers, but know that the number of believers in heaven is uncountable. That there is the chance that when we go to heaven, that we might be able to meet these children. And they might be able to tell us what it was like to know the Lord back then. To perhaps even meet the Apostle John. To know what their mother did for them. How their mother loved the Lord. How their mother provided a household for them where the Lord, the truth, was known. And that they in turn were freed 
from sin by knowing the truth. This is what gives John his joy. His exceedingly joyful statement that he gives. That this is so important. That I am so overwhelmed with joy in hearing this. This is such a great thing. In things that we have celebrated in doing baptism the other week. That others have known the Lord and have declared their love of the Lord. And that the Lord is their Savior publicly. And that we are exceedingly joyful over that. That there are more that are coming into the body of believers. The truth would be John's soul drive. That all would know the truth in Christ. That would know the Lord that loved Him. That would know the risen Lord who's seated on the throne right now. And that knowing that Lord, that the truth sets them free, brings them into unity as believers. As fallen and as broken as we are, we are unified as believers. People from two different cultures, with two different ages, and two different backgrounds, as believers, and I know most of us have experienced that, can come together and have unification that is unknown elsewhere in the world. We can look past and over socioeconomic issues and see each other as Christ followers because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It is all about Jesus and His glory and what He has done to save sinners like us throughout the world. And that's why John is exceedingly joyful that her children, the children that she has bore, the ones that she has raised are found in Christ. What greater joy would there be for a parent than to know that on the other side when life passes away for you, that on the other side that you will see your children again. I will take an aside here and talk to the foolishness of parents who will let their children decide what they should believe. They're idiots. Quite frankly, if you know the truth and it has set you free, then you should do everything possible to tell your children what that truth is. Otherwise, you are ushering your children into hell. And that isn't good parenting. This is why John is exceedingly joyful what the truth, they know it. And you must be so glad, this lady must be so happy that regardless of anything else that happens, that her children will be found with the Lord in heaven. This exceedingly here, we almost can't wrap ourselves around this word. Even to say exceedingly doesn't do it justice. Overwhelmed by it. He is overwhelmed for her joy in knowing this truth that her children know. That the lost are found. He goes on in verse 5. 
So we have these four verses that he talks about the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, found in the truth, abiding in the truth, knowing the truth, Jesus is the truth, all about the truth. And then we run into verse 5. He is changing, uh, he is changing how he's speaking. And we want to remember, we just had repetition about the truth, and now he's going to go into more repetition. This, isn't, this is, when we know it's repetition by the way he writes it, we also know that repetition is important. He's not telling them something they don't know. He's reminding them of something they do know. And we're going to find out that it's important that they remember these things that they know. Soon. In verse 5 it says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment. Okay, what I'm writing is something that you already know. But the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That we are found in love with one another. That this is part of the teaching that you have heard from the beginning. This is nothing new. You heard it when we first came to Ephesus. You've heard it when you first met me, when you first met Paul. We don't know how at the moment that she came into belief. But this is right from the beginning. This is the truth that you heard this, that we should love one another. The command to love one another. We hear it from our Lord too. Even though we can be very unlovable, that does not excuse us from loving one another in Christian love. Just because we can be off-putting with one another doesn't mean we're not supposed to love that person. But we're certainly not talking about emotive love. Or love of emotion. We will be talking about love of obedience. But we do know this, that this is a command that the love is not an option. To be a Christ follower and unified in that belief is not an option to not love. You are commanded to love. It is a command from the Lord. Look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. The Lord speaking. The Lord Jesus speaking. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now I'm going to say this in a curious way. This is a new old commandment. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It says these words, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So we have command to love the Lord from the beginning. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Verse 18, just turn backwards a little bit. 19 verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But there is something new about what the Lord is saying. Something more that He is giving them. 
Something more that John is reminding them that they know, that they should know, that this is about sacrificial love for one another. That's the new part about this commandment. You could get lost back there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and loving the neighbor, being nice to the neighbor, giving bread to the neighbor if they need her, a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, whatever, but not sacrificially loving the neighbor. They miss that kind of part back there, that it is all about sacrifice for others. We see that in the example of our Lord Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This great, chat, this great beginning right before what is referred to as the Christ hymn. Remember, not new for them. He is just reminding them. And Paul says these words in Philippians 2, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and, any infe- and if any affection and compassion, this is all Christian unity and truth, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And here we go, our sacrificial love. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This is that sacrificial love that we are supposed to give. To put others in front of ourselves. Not just letting them in traffic in front of us. But putting them in front of ourselves, right? That you are more important than me. We can even say, because I have found the Lord, I will do what it takes so that you find the Lord too. I will sacrifice my time and effort and days and weeks and months so that you know the Lord. Look at what it says about Jesus because in this case of sacrifice, the exemplar, in verse 5 it says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what Jesus does. That's the sacrificial love that Jesus did. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did this for us. When we turn back to the second letter of John, this that you have heard from the beginning, the witness of Jesus, the one who fulfilled the law, lived the life we couldn't live, and died the death we couldn't die, we know that the joy and that unity as Christ's followers who believe this, and that her children are in that too, which led to his exceeding joy, and his reminder that you should walk in this was what he's going to say in verse 6. And he says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, to Jesus' commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, another reminder that you have heard this before, that you should walk in it. That this is key. That this is so important that this is foundational for 
our Christian walk, our Christian unity, our Christian belief. And it is demonstrated by obedience to the Lord's commands. To be disobedient to the Lord's commands is unknown to the Gospel. To pick and choose the Lord's commands of what I will obey and what I will not is not known by true believers. We may struggle in following the Lord's commands and we will have to repent because of that, but we should recognize that the Lord's commands are good and right for us. That there is no better way to live than to be obedient to the Lord and what He has called us to do. To live this life of self-sacrifice, not a life of self-promotion. The only thing that we should be doing in this life is promoting Jesus in everything that we do. When we are disobedient, we trample the cross. We trample on what Jesus has done. When we say my way is better, we say that Jesus on the cross was unnecessary. We say that Jesus incarnate in flesh is unnecessary. And puts us in grave danger. And this is the warning that John is walking up to with this woman that he loves as another Christ follower. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Just turn back a page or so. First John 5, 2, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. To be yoked to Him is to be free. John, not only is he repeating in Second John, but he's repeating in First John again too. Repetition, repetition. You need to be constantly reminded of this. Follow the Lord's commandments. In case you're wondering, it's Matthew 11.30 where you find the light yokes, the burden, the easy burden. But for time-wise, we won't go there. We do have communion today, which would be great. We're going to be doing communion right after the sermon. So it'll be a little bit different. And after that aside, we will use that to segue into a huge part of this letter. Now remember, we walk in the truth. We walk in the Lord's commandments. We walk in His love when we do that. We are, when we are obedient to the Lord, in verse 7 it says this, this focal point of this letter, for many deceivers... It comes from the Greek word planoi, which means wanderers, ones who wander around, wander aimlessly, have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Christian unity will fail because of these deceivers. The unity that we have as a body of believers when these deceivers are in the body will destroy the unity that is found there. That there will be no Christian unity with people who do not believe in the right Jesus. 
And these don't believe in the right Jesus because they are denying that Jesus was enfleshed. That He came in the form of a man. They are talking about a Jesus that is spiritual in nature. This could be what we're seeing is the beginning of what would be the Gnostics. The ones that sought to separate the spirit from the body. But they are not believers. These deceivers are not found as saved. They are anti-Jesus. They are anti-Christ. They are anti-cross. They are anti-salvation. These ones that John is speaking about. These ones who do not acknowledge Jesus coming in the flesh. These deceivers are dangerous. In 1 John 2, verses 18-19, through 19, John gives us this. It says, children, it is the last hour. So after Christ has ascended to the throne, we are in this last hour. We are in the end times. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. These planoi, these wanderers, we're going to see what they look like right now. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us in Christian unity. Unity in truth, in obedience. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. These false believers, these false teachers, these deceivers, these anti-Jesus, these anti-the-Lord-Jesus people that are there. And he says in verse 8, therefore, watch out. We heard that many times in, by Jesus Himself in Mark. Watch out for these things. Watch out. Be on the lookout. Be aware. Stay on the towers. Look in the watchway. Be discerning of what's going on. Be Bereans. Like in Acts. Test what is being said. Is it true? Not is what I am saying being true, but how does what I'm saying match up to the Scripture? Check me against the Scripture. Don't just believe me because I'm saying it, but check it against the Bible. 1 John 4, 1-6 through tells us this. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it quickly. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and is now already in the world. You are from God, little children. And you have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And these false teachers, these deceivers, are in the spirit of error. And they are exceedingly dangerous to a body of believers. They come in. 
it sounds sort of truthful. And maybe their message is a little bit easier to to take because sometimes the message I hear here hurts my pride, hurts my ego, says things I don't want to do, tells me I'm supposed to be obedient when I am naturally disobedient. Theology is important. What you think about Jesus is important. How you know Jesus is important. Watch out that you do not lose what we have accomplished. This does not mean losing your salvation, but in the loss of Christian unity. I will tell you, one false teacher in our body could destroy this in a heartbeat if it's not drummed out and cast out of the midst. That's why we we don't put anybody in a teaching role before we know what they believe. That's why we guard the pulpit for what is set up here, so that we are right thinking and right orthodoxy. Orthodoxy just means right thinking about Jesus. That's what John's talking about. These have denied that Jesus came in flesh. These are not Christ followers. These are anti-Christs. They They are anti-Jesus. They are against Jesus. Keep an eye on these. Don't fall asleep. Be on guard. Be watchful. I can tell you this right now, and it grieves my heart to say this. That when I went, there are many people that I went and got my Masters in Divinity from, many people I went to school with that I cannot associate with. Because what they teach is anti-Christ. They are deceivers. They don't teach what the Scripture says. They teach what they want. And it grieves me that I went for five years, went to school and sat and ate with these people and to see how far they have fallen for the ways of man, to be popular, to be liked, to parrot what the latest people out there want you to say. And there's no salvation in that message that they give. And it grieves me that these people I can no longer associate with well, let's face it, they won't call me any either, so <laughs> that's okay. It's not like I'm calling them. So, And look at verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Open your Bibles. You can't know Jesus except through the Scripture. Open your Bibles and know what it says. Know the truth. Be set free by that truth that is in Jesus. And there is unity in a body of believers that studies the Scripture. There is a unity in this church that I have never experienced elsewhere. I've never experienced it in another church. I can tell you that right now. I've experienced service projects in other churches that made you feel like you were were unified, but you certainly weren't unified in the truth. This is it, people, to, to, to understand who Jesus is, the enfleshed Christ who came to earth. The enfleshed Christ who, who completed the entirety of the law. Who willingly went to the cross. Who shed His blood on our behalf. So that it would be an accepted sacrifice by the Father for our sins. 
and that who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now. More repetition that John gives us. More repetition that he is telling us here. Reminding, reminding, reminding. Essentially, these false teachers back then, these false teachers now, they have taken the golden earrings that they have made in their minds and have forged a golden calf to worship. They have forged a Jesus of their own making that does not save, that condemns. And that's why John is so vehement about this. Do not go with these people. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring, and does not bring this teaching, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the right teaching of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the sacrificial love of Jesus, do not receive him into your midst. Don't bring him into your house. Do not even give him a greeting. Don't even associate with these false teachers. I see people associating with false teachers all the time. And why do they do it? I just want to be nice. Why even talk to them? Don't do it. Good doesn't affect bad so much as bad affects good. Don't even... These ones that deny Jesus, let them go. Don't associate them. It's hard enough to keep the unity like this without tolerating false teachers. And verse 11, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Your witness is damaged by who you hang out with. Don't even associate with these anti-Christ, these anti-Jesus, these people that deny Jesus came in the flesh. Because it will damage the witness that you have. And not only will it damage your witness, it will damage the unity of the believers. Now remember, this is a joyful letter that, that John is writing. This is just reminders. I've heard about these people that are out there in the hinterlands. And I've seen them on the streets. Don't associate with these kind. These are false believers. And they will lead you into destruction. Verses 12 and 13. Though I have many things to write to you, I do, not, uh, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. Here's your unity. To be together is what he desires to be. He desires to see this woman who lives outside of Ephesus somewhere. To converse face to face. It would say, uh, it says in there, it says, I do not want to write so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face. Speaking of the, the literal translations, mouth to mouth. To see you, to see your eyes, to speak to you right there, to speak about these things of God so that your joy may be made full. You can see my joy and the joy that you're experiencing and have even greater joy over this. And he sends this final, this final salutation, the children of your chosen sister greet you. That her elect sister, her sister who was also a believer, she may or may not be dead at this time, but her nieces and nephews also send a greeting. So John has knowledge of this woman's family. When he has written this letter to them, to her, about the exceeding joy and the warning about false teachers. We should remember it is better to be 
in person, together, to encourage one another. A number of people in the Sunday school class today reminded us of that fact, that we share in the unity, that paper is a poor substitute for being together, that a TV screen is a poor substitute for being together, that a radio is a poor substitute for being together. This is a personal letter from beginning to end about Christian unity. So what can we learn or what can we take away from this? In short, through abiding in Christ and His teaching and being obedient to Him is the only way to Christian unity. That we will have small joys together in Christian unity that will be just merely the foretaste, the sampling of what, it, what heaven will be like and the new heaven and the new earth will be like. That we can only know people to uh, a, a partial degree here, but when we're reestablished in the body of believers throughout time, the, those that are there, we will be known, not only will we know people, but we will be known completely. And it will be good. And God will be glorified in knowing that. These times when we get together like this in a body of believers and we enjoy each other's companies are just a little sampling of what it will be like in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth. Our joy and unity with those who have abided in the incarnate, risen Christ will be unfathomable. We can't even comprehend it here. We just see images here. And we see John, the Apostle, expressing that in his letter to this lady. But amongst that joy is the warning about the heretics and the false teachers. We must be on our guard because they will destroy any of that fellowship, any of that sweet fellowship that we have. There are so many things right now that are attacking the church. I feel like I've been on this soapbox before. It seems like every verse, verses that I get are right there. Or it is, but the warning is clear in the scripture that we are not to associate with them. I have seen and have known friends who've accepted these things so much false teaching that goes into the church. And it pains me to hear it because it's not of the scripture. We, I know of churches right now, not only in the United States, but right around us, that affirm transgenderism and homosexuality, which is absolutely against what is told in Scripture. Guess what? Everyone can be saved. But if you choose to prop yourself up as a God over God, when you choose to say that I can be this, or God affirms homosexuality, which He clearly does not, or God affirms that there are 70 different genders, that is not God-honoring. That is not being obedient to God. When I see that there are churches that say because of who you are and where you're at and where you were raised, that there is, you are less sinful than other people, you'll find this in, uh, uh, in uh, what's referred to as CRT, critical race theory, uh, uh, the wokeness agenda, and I know some people have suffered under that, even in our own congregation. That is not Christ honoring. We are all sinners. 
before a righteous and a holy God. And Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way to save us, to make us right before God. He is the only way to make it, to justify us, just as if I had never sinned. But there are churches out there that are promoting these things, that are anti-Jesus, that are not found in the Scripture. What I find in the Scripture is that I am a sinner. And that without Jesus, I will be in eternal damnation. What I need is a Savior, and man can't do that for me. There is no man that can save me, save the incarnate Son of God. The Lord Jesus is the only one. And when we let these things and these teachings that are not biblical infect our churches, it destroys the unity amongst us. It takes away Philippians that we spoke about where we look to others as being more important than ourselves. My agenda means nothing unless my agenda is to glorify God. Specifically to glorify Jesus in all that I do. We do not want to negate the salvation that Jesus gave. We don't want to stomp on the cross. We don't want to promote things that are anti-God and anti-Jesus. And I'll end on the note. We are now celebrating 48 years of legalized abortion. 62 million children murdered. And there are churches in this area that promote it. I highly doubt that those that promote it are actual Christians. I'll say it. I don't care. Because if you're promoting the murder of the most innocent then I doubt that you truly know who the Lord is who died while we were yet sinners so that we may live. It is a sad state when the church, when people that claim to be in a church or call themselves Christians have abandoned the only book we have from God and have promoted their own agendas. And John warns us about them that they are anti-Jesus. And that's our warning for today that we must watch out for these things. That we must see and see with our own eyes and, and see what they are saying and check it against the Bible because we have been called to a life of sacrificial living and repentance. So as we leave, I would recommend that we would First John 5, 2 and 3, read First John 5, 2 and 3 this week. John 17, 17. Those passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and of course, the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians 5.22. And the warning goes that it is unbiblical for a person to stay in, an, in a disobedient church. But I've been guilty of it myself, that we stay because of our friendships being disobedient to the Lord. In turn, we should snatch those from the fire and drag them out of wrong teaching and bring them to congregations where the right teaching of the Word is. And I'm going to end on that. Uh, I want to go into the time of communion that we have as our evidence, as our, as our unity as a body of believers. We'd ask all those can participate in our church in communion, those that confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that He is the one that you put your hope and salvation in, that 
He is the one that you offer repentance towards for your sins. 